quite a privilege to be here and thanks to the Musos for doing wonderful work leading us tonight. It's great to sing again and to enjoy each other's voices in praise. Uh, this is the last in the series of eight on the books of the Torah and uh, I want to invite you to join God on his relentless quest and joyful initiative to know and be known in love. I've entitled the sermon, God's Great Love Story. And uh, it's a lovely, I think, passage of scripture and opportunity for us to reflect on God's love tonight. So let's pray as we commence here. Father God, you are a great God of love. We want to join you tonight on your relentless quest to know and be known in love. So move us in that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy is actually a book which used to be known by its opening words. These are the words. These are the words. It's actually a book of proclamation. It's a book of preaching. And it has three great sermons, you'll see them outlined there, that make up most of the book with an introduction and a conclusion. And the three sermons are given by Moses with his own death looming. Uh, He knows he will die. He dies in the last chapter. And so as he speaks, we're getting, as it were, his reflection and his encouragement, his challenge looking back and forward. Uh, And these are his final words. This is a very emotional book, and I hope that you'll read it with all its passion uh, and conviction, uh, and not just as a a mere set of laws and facts. Uh, Deuteronomy ought to be known and loved. It's a compelling book. These are the words of Moses through the Lord uh, as he's about to die. And in chapter 6, verse 1... The NIV has it, these are the commands. Literally, it's a singular there. This is the command. This is the command. The statutes and the rules all support it. But there is one great command that we're going to read in in Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. One great command. The one great command is supported by all the other commands and later Jewish teachers in the time of Jesus reckoned that there were 613 of them. 248 do this, 365 don't do that and all of them, the 613, supported the great command. The Jewish teachers of Jesus' day broke up the commands into the really great ones and the less great ones and there is only one great, great one and it's the one that we have before us Tonight, Israel has been out of Egypt now for about 40 years. They've come to the plains of Moab, just across from Jericho, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And the question in 6, 1 to 3 is, how will they live well in the land? How will they possess it? How will this generation and the next and the next, their children and their children's children, enjoy long life, be fruitful and experience God's blessing? Well, here is the great command, 6-5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. 
And then that is unpacked in verses 6, 7, 8 and 9. The one who is completely Lord is to be completely loved. All your heart, your deepest inner being, your core, your motives, everything that drives you. Love the Lord your God with your inner being, your soul, your very life. Love the Lord with your body, your hands, your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your relationships, all your strength. Chris Wright says in his commentary about this, uh, literally means all your very muchness and intensifies the other two. Love the Lord your God with total commitment, heart, with your total self, soul, to total excess, your very muchness. Loving God is over the top. And for such love, Israel was to embrace God's word in every part of their lives, in their heart, in their home, as individuals, their hands and foreheads, in families, their children, their houses, their society, their gates. God's word was to be governing all of that. And throughout the time that they're in the plains of Moab, this is what Moses is saying you will do when you go across the Jordan River. Here is uh, the Teflon and the mezuzah, the symbols tied to the hands and the arms on that one picture, tied to the head, and on the door frames of the houses, the little boxes with text or parchment or manuscript inside them. The Jewish people eventually took this very literal, literally and they tied the word to their hands, facing their heart, to their head, over their, um, their eyes, between their eyes, on the door frames of the houses so that they could touch the word of God every time they went in and out and recite the scripture. I once knew a person who wrote God's word on the mirror in her, kit, in her um, um, bathroom so that every time she looked at herself in the mirror, she saw herself through the word of God. And so there's this, there's this lovely sort of commitment to hear God's word, to say God's word, to speak God's word everywhere, on the door frames, on the gates, on your hand, on your arm, on your forehead, to love God was to hear God's word in this way. Why would Moses say this is the great command? Well, twice in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, you've got this word, hear, H-E-A-R, hear, listen, listen. This is where we get the word shema from, or we get hear from the word shema, the shema, listen, listen. What's the first responsibility of God's people? It's to hear God, to listen to God attentively and obediently. And that command, hear, is over 1,000 times throughout the scriptures. The word hear is used. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when the scripture here says the Lord is one, I think it's got two potential meanings. One is he's the only speaking God to whom you should give attention and obedience. He is the one. But more than that, he is a God who is completely undivided and faithful in his integrity. He is one, unified, completely faithful, trustworthy. He is the one and he is one. God is completely true to his promises. He will never disappoint. He will never break his covenant commitment. Pay attention to this God. Listen to this God. 
This is the God who alone is God and who is completely trustworthy and faithful. So listen, listen. So in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, the Shema becomes the essence of Israel's faith. These words came to be recited when rising in the morning and going to sleep at night. These words become the first prayer taught to a Jewish child and the final words said prior to death. These words, we have them in 6, 5 to 9, you take them home and memorise them, become the essence of Jewish faith. And that's why it's all the more surprising that when a Pharisee asks Jesus this question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? He changes it. He does give these words, but he gives more. Here is Jesus' answer to the question, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus adds to Deuteronomy 6 the words of Leviticus 19.18, which was hardly as well known and certainly not considered the great commandment in Old Testament Israel. Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these. And what he does is he brings the two together and he says, these are now bound inseparably as the great commandment. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. And on that day, I think the man who asked Jesus that question was probably surprised And when pressed, what do you mean by neighbour? Who is my neighbour? Jesus radically expanded the meaning of Leviticus 19.18. In Leviticus, the neighbour is a fellow member of the Jewish community. It's one of your brothers and sisters, a Jewish member of the community of God's people. But Jesus tells a parable, the Good Samaritan parable, where he says your neighbour is a certain one. And one commentator says this about that story. Stripped of his clothes, left half dead, the man in the parable's anonymity is simply a human being, a neighbour in need. Jesus takes the word neighbour and makes it any human in need. And he then adds that to the great commandment to love God. Theologian who visited us once in New Zealand called Scott McKnight calls this the Jesus Creed. This is what McKnight writes in his book. Jesus revises the Shema, Genesis 6, in two ways. Loving others is added to loving God. And loving God is understood as following Jesus. This is an old answer with a revolutionary twist. Love God, love others, love God by following me. It's very simple. Love God, love others, and love God by following me, the Jesus Creed. And when Mark says, the whole 613 commandments of the Torah, the great and the least, all of those do's and don'ts of Deuteronomy and Exodus, the Torah books, are now very clearly understood as love God, love your neighbour, 
which is another human being in need, and follow me. The New Testament authors then take the words of Jesus and push it even further. And I love what Paul writes to the Galatian churches when he says the entire law is fulfilled in one command. And guess which one he quotes? Love your neighbour as yourself. He drops the Shema. And then he says, and walk by the spirit of the risen Christ. He's not dropping love for God, but he's saying something more has occurred. And by the time we get to 1 John, and we read some of it tonight, we're reading, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. It strikes me that the great love story, and we started tonight in the plains of Moab, has got some very surprising twists in it. And I want to talk for a while about what I call the trajectory of God's great love story. And it seems to me it's a trajectory that is shaped like many other aspects of God's story by his revelation of his triune Father, Son and Holy Spirit nature. In Deuteronomy, on the plains of Moab and Mount Sinai, when Israel was told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, their experience of God in Deuteronomy is terrifying. The Lord has come down, the majestic Lord has come close to Israel on the mountain that is described as being wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. And the mountain to which God has come is thundering and frightening and God speaks out of a fire and the people say, no more, we can't even stand this, it's so frightening. Moses, you just tell us what he says. There is fear and awe, God has no form and a thunderous voice. And so here is the Lord who comes down majestic and awesome but terrifying in Deuteronomy 6. But by the time the Lord comes down in the person of Jesus, we now have, as a friend of mine used to say, God clothed in humanity, the carpenter from Nazareth, God with kneecaps and a spleen and eyebrows. God is awesome. God is majestic in Christ. He is full of grace and truth, but he's no longer terrifying. Jesus is the one who picks up babies and holds them, who touches lepers and who sits at the meal table, laughing and talking and singing with prostitutes and tax collectors, with sinners, with whoever will eat with him there. Jesus is the one who says, if you really know me, you will know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him because you've seen me and you know me. And then Jesus dares to say in John 13, I've got a new command. And I think he's got the Shema in mind. He's got Deuteronomy in 6 when he says this, in mind when he says this, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love 
one another. It's a new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then, at Pentecost, the Lord comes down again in the personal presence of the Holy Spirit. All through the scriptures, the Spirit of God has been promise and gift. Promised and then gifted, and finally that promise is kept and that gift received at that first Pentecost. And how is the Holy Spirit received at Pentecost? He's poured out. Not a dribble, not a drop, a pouring. Pentecost is an extravagant event. Jew and non-Jew, woman and man, child and adult, slave and free, all who come to seek Christ, the Spirit comes down among and within them and fills them. John says, if we love one another, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. What a love story. We have moved from a majestic Lord thundering and fiery on a mountain to a rabbi Jesus walking alongside, eating, touching and being with his disciples, to a Holy Spirit God in us, in and among us. We've gone from distance to closeness to amongness to withinness. As wonderful as Deuteronomy 6 is, we're not going back to Mount Sinai. It's not good enough. The Shema was not good enough. Jesus blew it out as he does on many occasions with the texts of Israel. The trajectory of God's great love story from Deuteronomy to Jesus to the Holy Spirit is a trajectory from distance to closeness, from alongsideness to amongness and withinness. And that's the quest that God is on with humanity. And that's the joyful initiative to know and be known in love that God has unleashed and that's the invitation for what churches are to be like. The invitation and the honour is to join God on this relentless quest and joyful initiative to come from distance to closeness, to closeness to amongness, from amongness to withinness, from distance to intimacy, from fear to vulnerability, to love each other as God loves us. In the world around us at the moment, it's been exacerbated, hasn't it, by COVID. People are dying from loneliness and resentment and anger and bitterness and broken relationships. And here is the Lord saying, join me on the relentless quest and the joyful initiative to know and be known in love. What will that look like for a church such as Alive at Five? Well, first of all, it will continue to involve us in loving God's word, attending obediently to it. But, you know, it's not just on our forehead or between our eyes or on our arms or on our doorposts any longer. 
What does Paul say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, writes Paul. It will still involve us, of course, in this loving attention to the God who speaks, in this attentive obedience to the God who speaks. And so what we're doing in Scripture this year is just so wonderful. Look at our artists who are coming forward with all sorts of initiatives, and we've had another one from Phil Chaffee this morning over at the 11 o'clock church. As people are indwelling the Scriptures and coming up with colour and light and image for God's Word. But most powerfully, it will involve us in knowing and being known within our homes, within our friendships, and within our churches, and then offering that to people all around us who don't enjoy the trajectory of God's great love story. When I think about knowing and being known, First of all, I think about being attentive to you. Listening, looking, attending, giving time. And then I think about being honest with you. Two ways to deflect love is to continue being deceitful or to continue pretending. When somebody says to you, how are you going? Is everything all right? Yeah, sure, it's fine. You're not inviting anyone to know you. The trajectory of our lives is one towards honesty and attentiveness, trustworthiness and vulnerability. One word that for me has been the opposite of love throughout life, and I picked it up in Elizabeth's prayer earlier tonight, lovely it was, is the word control. We cannot love people if we need to control them. We cannot love people if we treat people like objects to be picked up and put away, to be manipulated and used. If I treat you as something I need to control, I will never love you. Control is not love. Control listens, oh, sorry, love listens. Love cares, love attends. Love is patient and kind. Control is an abuse of power. Love is an empowering of another person. In churches and in this church, we must commit ourselves to loving each other and then inviting others into this great love story. I want you to take a few minutes now to ask yourself, who are you moving towards at the moment? Who are you moving towards intimacy, coming among, coming within? Who are you moving to? Perhaps these are people that you weren't as close to last year and you're coming towards them this year. Who are, you in, who are you inviting to know you more now than you did last year? Who are you putting down the tenses and putting off the barriers and the walls so that they will know you? Let's take a few minutes just to pray into that. It seems to me that if all of us are on that quest together, then we've joined in the trajectory of God's great love story. It's an honour to join God on this relentless quest from the mountain to the rabbi to the indwelling spirit. Love the Lord. Love one another. Let's just pray for a few minutes.
Well, I want to uh, invite people to name those toward whom they are moving in love, in listening, in attending, in caring. Just name those people. We pray that that will be evident in our homes. <coughs> Perhaps with a wife, a husband, a brother, a sister, a child, a grandparent, a parent. Who are you allowing to move towards you, to know you, to love you? Who are you going to put the barriers down for, to be vulnerable toward? Name those people. Lord, we don't want to be those who control others. We don't want to be those who manipulate others. We don't want to be obscure or pretense barriers to others. We want to be loved by others and to love others. I'm inviting us all tonight to intentionally live that way in this church. And let me read as we perhaps keep our eyes closed again, the words of 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Perfect love drives out fear. We love because he first loved us. Lord, as we finish, I pray that uh, Love at Five would be a church of in astounding love where there are no people who are lonely or distant or unknown, but all of us have some who love us. All of us are known and being known. All of us are in the trajectory of the great love story from distance to closeness to amongness to withinness. And then may others out there on the main street and throughout our neighbourhoods and towns be drawn to that and come and enter into the great love story that you have purposed through Christ and the Spirit. So thank you, Lord, for Deuteronomy. Uh, thank you that we've moved on from it to into a fuller orb, beauty of love in Christ and in the Spirit. Lord, help us to live that way tonight in Jesus' name.